and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. Growing up in the small town that I did, we did not have a ton of street art. We have more now, several pieces of artistic expression that make you want to take to social media and give it a share. But when I was a kid, we had a lot more graffiti than street art, and the graffiti was usually made up of gang tags or kids writing inappropriate words for the thrill, I guess, of it on public property. Although I live in a small town in a nearby city, which honestly also feels more like a small town, we have a Banksy, which is exciting, so that's always a good time to visit. It wasn't until I moved to Germany that I got a better appreciation for street art. I was living away from home and found it exciting and also a bit lonely. But as I walked the streets of Germany, I noticed what I thought was an unusual number of hearts. There were hearts in lacy window curtains and hearts on the sidewalks, hearts in street art and on doors, and I just felt like I saw them everywhere. So I'd keep an eye out for them in the city, and whenever I'd find them, it felt like a little hug from God that God knew where I was and he was sending me a heart because I was super lonely and scared. (laughs) I began finding hearts everywhere I went on all of my travels. Street art in Europe generally certainly helped me gain a healthy appreciation for the art. In Basel, in London, especially around Jack Ripper's old stomping grounds in Whitechapel, the street art I found there was particularly stunning. As well as that in Basel, there's an enormous mural that celebrates rock legends. who's like Spot the Rockstar. There are different forms of street art. When I was in London, I loved to walk the Millennium Bridge, the one from Harry Potter, the sixth film, if you remember that one. And I'd walk it and look down at the ground, where an artist called the Chewing Gum Man paints the pieces of gum that people spit out onto the bridge, so that they become works of art. His pieces were some of my favorite bits of art, and I considered his works street art of a sort, just the kind you walk on. Hopefully, don't walk on. I don't know. I don't know how many people saw it. I think I just spotted it by accident. So hopefully, if you ever get the chance to go, you should make sure that you take a look at the ground. These days, you also have more accepted forms of graffiti. For example, when my brother and I visited a cafe in Scotland called The Elephant House, which had been claimed to be where J.K. Rowling wrote a lot of Harry Potter. She's since denied the cafe as the birthplace of Harry Potter, but still, if you go into the bathroom while visiting the cafe, you will see that the entire bathroom is covered in signatures of visitors. The cafe has gone so far in embracing the Harry Potter tourism as to provide you with markers with which to write your name on the walls. My brother and I both left our marks there. Now, the subject matter is a little bit controversial. Graffiti and street art are not legal everywhere. Indeed, for some artists, that is half of the thrill and the fun. And for some businesses and private property owners, having street art on their buildings is considered damaging and frustrating, while others consider it an excellent promotional piece in working with the community. So we're going to talk today about the history of street art, understanding that it's not a simple topic, and it comes with its own set of problems and disagreements. And I'll own up front that this is a very rich and deep subject. I've spent much longer on this topic than any other in my research, and I'm still just scratching the surface here in this podcast. So there's still much of the dialogue that we won't be able to cover today. Now, with all those disclaimers out of the way, let's get going. People have been leaving their marks on walls and buildings for literally thousands of years. We certainly aren't the first generation to do it, and we definitely will not be the last. Inside the tombs of various ancient Egyptian pharaohs, there are literally a thousand inscriptions written by visitors, from the more modern times to ancient Roman times. Some of these Roman inscriptions are from 2,000 years ago and leave such important messages as, quote, I cannot read hieroglyphs, close quote. 
According to an article by Mental Floss written by Megan Gannon entitled Seven Entertaining Examples of Ancient Graffiti, which is a fun read if you want to look it up, another example that Gannon quotes is, quote, I visited and I did not like anything except the sarcophagus, close quote. Other examples include messages in Pompeii of ancient love triangles and taunting other lovers about not having their feelings returned. There are even examples of ancient gangs tagging territory on the pyramids. Over the years, street art has moved from the world of graffiti or vandalism, with messages between gangs or crude messaging, to a space for artists to make personal statements, artistic statements, commentary on a culture or society, or simply to beautify an area. There is also a thrill to installing these kinds of artworks and doing so undetected. Street art also breaks the barriers between the audience and art, and gives artists access to a larger audience than a gallery could allow, particularly if getting art into a gallery is difficult or even hindered by societal, political, or economic factors. Street art is also called guerrilla art, and with its origins in mind, the nickname makes a lot of sense. While graffiti and street art are similar, one key difference is the audience. While street art is intended to be consumable for the general public, graffiti typically holds a specific message for a specific audience, a message that only that specific audience can consume. Whereas with street art, just about anyone and everyone is meant to be able to understand the piece. Street art is meant to challenge society, be that a society as small as a local neighborhood or speaking to global issues. The act of street art itself is one of non-compliance, as it often takes place on buildings against or without the owner's permission. This does make it controversial because it isn't strictly legal and it is going against an owner's express wishes. Although lately, this isn't always the case. Some corporations have jumped on and capitalized on or even invested in artists to create street art on their property. Street art is therefore something of a mixed bag when it comes to discussing the legality and the act as a mean of protest or calling out social norms of some sort. So sometimes it's paired with commercialism, which is often the subject of its critique. Although some have argued about what makes street art art, Nicholas Riggle argues, quote, an artwork is street art if and only if its material use of the street is internal to its meaning. In that sense, the street must qualify almost as part of the material that an artist uses. It's not the same as using a blank canvas. Thus, understanding the history or the context of the city and where the street art appears, by this definition, is imperative to understand the artwork. Graffiti started with kids as a movement of sort in New York City with largely kids tagging things and writing their names, most of them under the age of 19. It wasn't until the 1980s that graffiti started to show up in art galleries. The author of A History of American Graffiti, Roger Gassman, in a PBS NewsHour noted that if you're really good at graffiti, you're going to start looking at the city differently and working with the city to improve your craft. Modern graffiti finds much of its origins in New York City with those teenagers tagging public buildings with their signatures. Much of this started in the 1960s, but you can go further back to the 1880s to find train cars that have been tagged by hobos. From the 1960s to the 70s and the 80s, the graffiti and street art scene changed from simply tagging to full-scale spray painting of entire subway cars in the 1980s. This largely happened in the Bronx. In the 1980s, more changes occurred as the graffiti and street art scene moved from text-based art to more concept-based art. One of the first examples of this is Canadian artist Richard Art Hamilton's Shadow Figures. 
These pieces of art were shadowy figures that were painted and almost looked splashed onto buildings all over the city. These shadow figures drew upon his earlier work in the late 1970s of mimicking police chalk outlines splashed with red paint. The images were startling. From here, the subversion of advertising also started to find its way into street art. Punk rock was highly influential in the street art scene, as was hip-hop. In fact, graffiti is considered one of the elements of hip-hop, with artists and gangs tagging the streets as a part of their creative expression. Now, graffiti existed long before hip-hop, but the two art forms soon grew together. The media played a huge part in linking hip-hop to graffiti. There are a lot of ways to leave a mark as street art. Traditionally, for graffiti, spray paint was used. These days, however, the medium has branched out to include LED art, mosaic tiling, reverse graffiti, which is made by removing dirt or grime on the surface in an artistic expression. There's also yarn bombing, which includes covering trees, bikes, racks, and fire hydrants, all sorts of things, and yarn. I've actually seen a tree be yarn bombed, and it was really fun. They had, like, snakes made of yarn hanging down from it. It was a very interesting piece. There's also sticker art, which we touched on briefly in the podcast episode about stickers. There's stencil art, wood blocking, in which an artist can paint a small piece of plywood and attach it somewhere. There's also wheat pasting, which has to do with pasting a collage somewhere. There's lock-on sculpture, where an artist attaches a sculpture to something like a bench or a phone booth, etc., with a lock or a bike chain. There's even rock balancing. Artists have also made use of easily accessible video projectors and have projected their work onto buildings. In the latter part of the 20th century, guerrilla sculptures began to pop up as a branch of street art in England. Street art serves the purpose of allowing the artist's work and thoughts to be seen in the public without the barrier of museum entry for either the artist or the spectator. The ability to work under anonymity may also allow the artist to speak more freely, and for some, the thrill of the illegality and spontaneous nature of the artwork in public spaces adds to the experience. More recently, public opinion has started to change regarding street art, generally speaking, seeing it in a more positive manner. However, that doesn't mean that the laws have necessarily changed as well. And not everywhere in the world welcomes street art. However, as it has become more and more accepted, to an extent where in some areas it has also become somewhat commercialized as businesses have partnered with street artists to create street art, part of the existence of street art is also the understanding that it is impermanent. It can and will eventually be removed, either by the owner, the city, or simply by the elements. An interesting alternative to street art is the free art movement. This is a movement in which artists leave art in public places, sometimes with their name on it and sometimes anonymously, but it is free for anyone to take or leave. Another movement is the beautification movement, in which street art and murals are used to beautify, brighten, and create safer spaces and neighborhoods within cities. A number of different cities around the world have accepted street art in various forms. Some have even legitimized specific spaces for street art, while others have selectively removed some street art and taken legal action, while other pieces of street art have been allowed to remain. New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, LA, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia all have specific areas and neighborhoods that are well known for their street art. Philadelphia has even been nicknamed the City of Murals. While Atlanta also has significant street art in different areas, the city created a graffiti task force in 2011 that removed some street art and let others stay, also arresting some of the artists as vandals. Later in 2017, the city of Atlanta was sued by a group of artists. The city agreed not to set in motion an ordinance that would require artists to obtain permission from the city to display art on private property. 
While in Richmond, Virginia and Denver, Colorado, many murals are privately commissioned by businesses to help enliven and brighten their storefronts. Overall, it's a controversial issue that cities are still finding their footing on. Outside of the U.S., there are other cities with a large street art scene, including Montreal, Toronto, and Calgary, in Canada, Mexico City, and more. In Mexico City, the All City Canvas organization has looked to make an urban art week for Mexico City, while also including and inviting international artists to join. In Buenos Aires, the large murals on subway stations and around the city are quite famous. In the mid-1990s, the first street artists started putting up graffiti around the city after visiting Europe and other parts of South America. An artist nicknamed Pilato holds the record in Argentina for the largest mural at more than 2,000 square meters. The street art here focuses on communicating class conflict and anxiety, as well as population density. In South America as well, the tensions between the public, artists, and government continue as arguments are made against the art as vandalism, damaging private property, and more. When it comes to Europe, however, there are a few cities who are very supportive of street art. Chief among them is London. While still illegal, the public largely supports street art, and there even exists the Dulwich Outdoor Gallery, featuring street art. Bristol, too, has very popular street art, in large part thanks to Banksy. Ostend, Belgium, hosts an international street art festival called the Crystal Art Ship. Each year, the Crystal Art Ship paints the town of Ostend red, blue, and a number of other colors to inspire artists, and they can then paint their own murals. Paris has a number of active graffiti artists. Paris' street art and graffiti scene may have roots as early as the 1940s with letterism, which was an avant-garde movement in Paris, or it could have happened later in the 1950s. One of the earliest examples of street art, what is suspected to be one of the first examples of the unsanctioned art, was The Iron Curtain in 1962 by Christo and Jean-Claude. Lec Lerat, considered the father of stencil art graffiti and one of the first graffiti artists, started showing up in the 1980s. In Germany, of course, there was the Berlin Wall. Constructed in 1961 and later reinforced and made 14 feet tall in the 1980s, during the division of East and West Germany, the Berlin Wall, which divided the city of Berlin and further beyond. The Berlin Wall, however, became one of the largest blank canvases in the world for citizens and artists to express messages and their thoughts, at least on the west side of the wall. On the east side, citizens were not allowed to get close enough to the wall to leave messages. The entire wall was decorated with street art, and although it has now been removed and the countries have been reunified, there are places in Berlin where you can see some of the remains of the wall, and some of the street art now resides in museums. Street art continues to thrive in Germany. I saw some of my first examples of street art as art and not graffiti while living in Germany. It was a strange mix of emotions to see modern art on what I would consider historic buildings. Largely because, coming from the United States, most of our buildings are relatively new compared to the longer histories of other countries in the world. Nevertheless, the street art was captivating. Street art has a celebrated and controversial history in Estonia, Italy, Spain, Greece, Norway, Amsterdam, Sweden, Denmark, Russia, Georgia, and more all over Europe and Scandinavia. Some cities have embraced street art in some form, with local festivals celebrating street art or hosting pieces of street art in museums or outdoor galleries, while others, like Finland, initiated a 10-year ban on street art, which lifted in 2008. As street artists from around the world have traveled, with artists from New York or Banksy visiting different cities, interest has grown in street art in cities around the world. 
In South Korea's coastal city of Busan, a large mural standing at 70 meters or 230 feet high was created by German street artist Hendrich Baikirch. At the time of its creation in 2012, it was considered the largest mural in Asia. Public delivery was responsible for the mural. In the United Arab Emirates, there are several great works of street art. You can visit them at the Dubai Street Museum. In India, the street art scene is huge. In the 1960s through the 90s, street artists created posters for TV and film promotional materials. Now, however, it is transitioning away from hand-painted posters and artworks to digital artwork, with digital artworks becoming more popular since the 2000s. In Australia, Melbourne is considered to have one of the most highly active and diverse street art communities. Local councils support the art and preserve it in Melbourne. In Dunedin, New Zealand, street art got off to a good start with street art covering 60 bus shelters. The city council commissioned more designs on electric boxes around the city. One of New Zealand's highest works of street art is also in the city, coming in at seven stories tall. After Christchurch was hit with earthquakes in 2010 and 2011, two and a half years later, the city opened a Rise Street Art event that attracted nearly 250,000 visitors. The murals from this event helped revitalize the area. Now Christchurch is known for its impressive murals. Street art is also found in Egypt, Tunisia, Yemen, and Libya. Johannesburg's new town district is also the central hub for street art. These days, there are international and local celebrations of street art, exhibitions, chalk festivals, and more in countries and cities around the world. These days, there are many famous pieces of graffiti and street art. One very early example includes the words, quote, Kilroy was here, close quote. This phrase, drawn with an image of a man with a long nose peeking around a corner, found its way to all sorts of surprising places during World War II. There were variations on the phrases as well. There was Kilroy was here, which was typically found in American areas, while Fu was here was popular among Australian troops. And for the British, it was Chad, or simply Mr. Chad, which had been around since World War I. A few other names for the man peeking around the corner included Private Snoops, Smo, Flywheel, Clem, Eugene the Jeep, Overby, or Sapo. There are many, many people who claim to be the origin of this particular piece of graffiti. It's hard to say exactly where it came from. With this particular piece of graffiti, it was known to show up in difficult-to-access areas. It was less about the graffiti itself and more about where it showed up, as pointed out by the author Charles Panati, who is quoted as saying, in reference to Kilroy graffiti, quote, It was outrageous, not for what it said, but for where it showed up, close quote. One story goes that German intelligence found Kilroy was here on captured American equipment. This is said to have led Hitler to believe that Kilroy was the codename of an Allied spy. Another story goes that Stalin found this phrase, Kilroy was here, in a VIP bathroom. A more modern example of famous street art, of course, would be Banksy, who is known worldwide. In fact, one of his pieces of art, rather ironically, was a piece of art that self-destructed. This piece was called Girl with Balloon. Once it sold at auction, it immediately shredded via a hidden shredder in the frame which came as quite a shock. It sold for 1.4 million US dollars in 2006. Another Banksy was sold once again for 25.3 million US dollars in 2018. This second piece was called Love is in the Bin. It was also immediately shredded. Banksy has left many other pieces of art around the world, each rich with biting social commentary. 
Indeed, the self-shredding piece of art touches on some of the irony of street art in museums, or open-air galleries of street art, or street art tours, as one of the goals of street art was to disrupt the relationship between the artist and curator or museum, allowing both artist and public open and free access to sharing and consuming art. Whatever the case, and while indeed it is a controversial subject, given the varying degrees of legality surrounding street art, street art does accomplish one of its goals in allowing the artist to publicly express a point of view, a piece of art, or even just tag their name, making their mark on the world. But it is controversial. Some companies have decided to embrace street art and have commissioned artists, while others, who have had their private property treated like a canvas, consider it defacing and devaluing their property, which is understandably frustrating. It kind of just depends on the person and their objectives. But it is a complicated issue, so the conversation continues. For the beautiful pieces of street art I've seen in my life, I'm grateful. For the ones that have made me think, or the ones that I didn't understand, I'm still grateful, as they helped me to engage in dialogues I was previously unaware or not a part of. Street art continues to tell the stories of a city, a nation, a people, and an artist to the world. And that is pretty beautiful. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Take care.